we got another day of NBA action. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top quality personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code WELCOME to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code WELCOME at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code WELCOME. Hello and welcome to the DeathCast. I'm your host, author and journalist Ian Totten. I'd like to thank you for joining me as we prepare to take our second look at Cyril Smith, the reviled British member of Parliament. Before we get going, as always, I have the normal show notes. If you would like to follow me on social media, simply look for the DeathCast, DeathCast Pod, or DeathCast Podcast. I am on most social media platforms. If you enjoy what I do and would like to help support the show, there's a couple of ways you can do that. The easiest one is to leave a five-star review wherever it is you get your favorite podcasts. Also, like and subscribe to the show there. You can also share the show on social media. You can also buy me a cup of coffee at buymeacoffee.com backslash thedeathcast. You can also support my sponsors. There's currently three of them. Wongo Puzzles, Blendjet 2, and Liquid IV. Supporting them helps support this show as it brings in ad revenue, which will allow me to continue doing this show as well as upgrade production values. All right, now that all of that is out of the way, find yourself a nice comfy chair, kick back, relax. I've got my coffee, I've got my cigarettes. Let's go into the crypt. When we left off last week, Smith had just begun working in a textile mill where he worked in the office, and we talked briefly about his 
struggles with his burgoing hormones, particularly when it comes to the opposite sex. To the best of our knowledge, Cyril Smith never had any type of relationship with a woman who was not his mother. That's not to say that Smith and his mother had an unnatural relationship. It's just to point out the fact that he never had a relationship with a woman that was anything other than friendship. Some commentators have put forth the idea that Smith may have, in fact, been a closeted homosexual. As a lot of times when you get these accusations about individuals who have a predilection for children, I have to caution that there is no evidence to support this. An individual can be gay and not be a pedophile. They can also be a pedophile and not be gay, even though they are targeting the same sex. A lot of times that seems to stem from them wanting to kind of get revenge on their younger self, for a lack of a better way to say it. A lot of these individuals were bullied and picked on when they were growing up, and when they reach maturity and realize that they have an interest in children, they will target the same sex as they themselves were, and it's almost like they're punishing either their younger self or, in some cases, those children who tormented them when they were younger. Getting ahead of ourselves, though, with that particular topic of conversation, Smith's childhood home, the one up, one down, ended up being condemned in the late 1940s, early 1950s, and he ended up purchasing a home. This was in Falange, which is off of Rochdale Town Center on Emma Street, and this was the domicile that Smith would live in for the rest of his life. It is important to note that this home, while not large, played a key part in Smith's forthcoming political career. As he would point to the house, this very modest dwelling, as a sign that he was one of the people. While this was going on, there was also a change taking place in Rochdale. In terms of demographics, a lot of individuals from Pakistan began to emigrate into the United Kingdom during this period of time, particularly into Rochdale, which to this day has a very large Pakistani population. And while I know much of the Western world likes to portray itself as being, you know, the bastions of acceptance, the reality is quite different, particularly when we're talking about Northern England. There was a lot of resentment and hatred towards these individuals that were moving in the area. And that continues to this day, and Smith saw this almost on a continuous basis, and it really began to change the way he thought about things as he 
progressed through life, however. The way Cyril began to look at the immigration issue wasn't one of understanding or compassion. Instead, he began to view these new members of society as more of a how-can-I-use-this-to-my-advantage type situation. Now, at this point that we're talking the early 1950s, he hadn't yet taken that leap, but the idea was forming in his mind. So Smith has a lot of things going on. He's got this new job. He's bought the family a new home. He is still very active in politics. Smith began giving speeches before gatherings of liberals, and eventually he gives a speech in Blackpool in 1950 that is carried by the BBC. This is Smith's first known national exposure, and there are consequences to this speech Higher-ups within the Liberal Party began really taking notice of Cyril Smith. So much so that he began getting invitations to attend the National Liberal Club located in London. And while all of this was good for his career, it also began to affect Smith's worldview in terms of politics. He began to view these other individuals as people who really saw politics as more of a pastime. For them, it was the power that being involved in politics afforded them. You have to remember, many of those within British politics back then, and even to this day, and this also goes for American politics, came from very wealthy families, and they mingled with one another prior to becoming involved in politics. So their associations, once they were all involved in politics, was just an extension of what they had already had in their lives. Smith was very astute on picking up this fact that Politics at this point was really nothing more than a boys club where deals were made and alliances were strengthened. This turned Smith off to politics to some degree in that he didn't feel that the people he was mingling with those who were in power really cared about their constituents in any way, shape, or form, and in this he was largely correct. There had been some changes in the UK in the years since the last by-election, and by 1950, when the general election was set to take place, British society had changed, some would say, for the better. Of particular note is the creation of the National Health Service, which basically means that everyone in the United Kingdom has health care. 
As had been the result during the by-election, the Labour Party was soundly tranched across the country. The candidate that Smith was backing at this time was able to win his seat in Stockport South after Smith demanded a recount. Another candidate that Smith had backed, Reginald Hewitt, was not so fortunate, and he in fact lost his election. However, something did come out of this. According to Smith many years later, Hewitt told him after this 1950 general election that Smith's best bet to have a career in politics would be to leave the Liberal Party and join the Labour Party. This being because the Labour Party was much more powerful and a man such as Smith had a much greater chance of being successful as a member of that party than he did being a member of the Liberal Party who, let's be honest, in the late 1940s, early 1950s were considered by most to be an absolute joke. Leaving the Liberal Party Smith found that the Labour Party was kind of reticent to take him on as they saw him as someone who was rather wishy-washy, jumping parties as he did. However, Smith very quickly proved his worth to those within the party, really by sheer force of will. It has been noted, particularly in Smile for the Camera, the double life of Smear Cyril Smith by Simon Dantcock and Matthew Baker, that those in the Labour Party who did not respect Smith quickly grew to fear him as he was not someone who was seen as a pushover and, quote, was not easily interrupted when he was in full flow, unquote. In 1952, Cyril Smith stood in his first election as a counselor for the Fallinge Ward where he had grown up. Now, Smith took a different approach to campaigning than most, which worked to his advantage in this particular instance, as the ward was a conservative stronghold. And at this point, he was going against an individual by the name of Fred Greenwood, who was the chairman of the Finance Committee and had actually been mayor of Rochdale in 1947. Naturally, Ward did not pay much mind to this young, heavyset upstart. However, he should have. Basically, what Cyril Smith did was extremely unheard of. In British politics, in America, we would term what he would go on to do as a grassroots campaign. Cyril Smith went door to door throughout the district, telling the people he encountered of his personal story in an effort to try and convince him that he was the only candidate who was fit to represent them. And we're going to talk about 
this particular manner and how he achieved it as soon as we come back from our very first ad break. Face it, shaker bottles suck. Your protein shake always comes out clumpy and you look like an idiot using the thing. That's why I decided to ditch my shaker bottle for good and get myself a BlendJet 2 portable blender. It makes perfectly blended protein shakes in just 20 seconds. BlendJet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. And it lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via a USB-C cord. Best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water and a drop of soap and you're good to go. So what are you waiting for? Go to BlendJet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code DCASTPOD to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use the code DCASTPOD to get 12% off your order and free 2-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Again, that's BlendJet.com and use promo code DCASTPOD at checkout. That's capital D, capital C, A-S-T, capital P-O-D, at checkout to get 12% off and free two-day shipping. We are back. Now, as I was discussing before the break, Smith was really one of a kind in British politics, especially at this point in time. There's really no other way to put it other than Cyril Smith was a natural showman. He was Big, larger than life, boisterous. He had a commanding presence that sucked the people he was talking to in. I'm going to play a few snippets of Cyril Smith. One is from an advertisement he did in the late 80s, early 90s. The others are from newsreel footage of Smith speaking and interacting with people. This Whitbread best scotch hey. certainly has a distinctive taste. Hey. It's lighter in colour and has a brighter flavour to it. Hey, hey! I'm not one of them MPs that bothers with manifestos, reading them and all that tried. The balcony on which I stood as a boy and said, uh, one day I will be the mayor of this borough. How old were you then? Nine years of age. Hello, hello. Shake hands with me, will you? to represent you or do you want a party robot to learn as i am to teach and anything that i teach will be purely local knowledge and not national knowledge i certainly have not come here with the intention of teaching anybody anything other than the problems of rochdale it is that we need a new initiative we need a radical courageous approach Ali, Sally. as you can hopefully see from those clips, Smith's manner of speaking, his patter was not your typical manner of speech for a politician, and this really stuck with people. 
during this election, and they honestly believe that, yes, indeed, this man is one of us. Another tactic that Smith used was very unique. In order to stand for election, the candidate had to get papers with the signatures of 10 electors, that's the people who are voting, stating that they nominate this individual. Well, Smith didn't just get one sheet of paper with these signatures. He made certain to get as many signatures as he possibly could. According to Smith, quote, it was a good mix of cheek and common sense that made the people feel part of a small select group of nominees, unquote. Smith ended up getting almost 1,900 signatures for his nomination papers. The week before the election, Smith composed a letter to these almost 1,900 individuals and sent it out to them, basically saying, remember when you signed my nomination paper? Well, now is the time. I really need you to vote for me. He stated in this letter, quote, In return, I will guarantee that should I be elected, I will represent this ward and your interests to the very best of my ability. On election day, Smith ends up winning by 520 votes. Of this win, Smith would later say, quote, Winning that council seat in 1952 gave me the greatest sense of victory in my life. And Smith would end up holding this seat as a counselor for much of the 1950s and the 1960s. And he used this to not only represent his constituents, but also to build his power base, as well as to do the same thing he had complained about other politicians doing, namely to make deals and further his own aims. In Smith's case, the furtherance of these aims had many facets, one of which was Smith used this position to enrich himself and get ahead in life. Eventually, Smith would open a number of businesses in Rochdale really cementing himself as a man of the community who had come from nothing and risen to be the cream of the crop in their ranks. One of the things that Smith became known for during the 1950s, and in fact up until the day he died, was as being a man that you could go to if you needed to get things done or you had a problem that you needed taken care of. That isn't to say that Smear Cyril Smith was taking bribes from his constituents or other people in the area, such as businesses, just that he understood that his power base rested largely in the hands of those who had elected him and that it was his in his best interest to make certain that he kept a clean public image and an image of a man of the people willing to do for the people. 1958 saw another by-election. It was actually the first one in the UK that was televised. 
And Smith saw in this televised election a new opportunity to further foist himself on the general public. Now, while Smith himself did not stand in this by-election or in the following year's general election, he saw the age of televised politics as an opportunity to further his political career. While all of this is going on, though, Smith is continuing to better himself financially, using many of the influential and highly successful individuals in the area who he had made great pains to become friends with, Smith began building an empire throughout Rochdale, various business ventures. One of the most famous was a spring-making factory known as Smith Springs. In addition to this, Smith began working as a fundraiser for various charities in and around Rochdale, and his success at this is hard to quantify. Cyril Smith was a very charismatic individual, really the first charismatic politician in Great Britain, and these organizations, be they non-profit or religious, saw this and took full advantage of him. And Smith was more than happy to do this as it really put him further into the limelight and thus further entrenched him into the minds of the people of Rochdale. Smith was able to turn all of this good fortune into opportunities for himself in other avenues as well. Being a counselor in Rochdale, Smith was placed on the board of trustees for many what we're going to term approved schools. These were schools for individuals with learning disabilities or truancy problems, as well as hostels for boys without parents or who needed to be away from home and go out and earn a living. Smith got placed on a number of these boards, and at one point it's been stated that he was a member of the board on 29 to 30 different schools in and around Rochdale. I do want to warn people that we are going from here on out to be discussing some fairly upsetting, unsettling topics in terms of Cyril Smith. Just be aware, I am going to try and cover these topics as delicately as possible, but Cyril Smith was a known pedophile. Um, he was a horrific pedophile, and that is the basis of this entire series that I am doing. And it's known that at least by the early 1960s, Smith's pedophilic urges had begun to manifest themselves inside of these schools that he was a trustee of. The first of the known victims 
came forward to police in December of 1961, and I am taking this particular piece of information from Smile for the Camera, The Double Life of Cyril Smith by Simon Danzig and Matthew Baker. However, other information that we are going to begin covering during this episode comes from a report put together by the city of Rochdale concerning Smith's abuses inside of schools. Now, according to Smile for the Camera, in December of 1961, Smith was making his routine routes around the local schools when he noticed a 14-year-old boy singing Deck the Halls during a caroling service. According to this young boy who was abused, Smith waited until after the singing had been finished before making his way to the front of the auditorium, clapping wildly and congratulating the teacher on the student's performance. He then zeroed in on this young boy, informing him, quote, You've got a great talent there, lad. Don't let it go to waste. And this is where... The duality in Cyril Smith really begins to show. He offered to pay for the boy to have singing lessons, which his parents were only too happy to accept. After a few weeks, Smith invited the boy over to his office and they had a conversation, the topic of which is unknown. More likely than not, Smith was simply chatting the young man up in an effort to get him to drop his guard. Smith eventually told the boy that in order to really become a good singer, he had to practice breathing exercises, and unfortunately, the boy did not understand just exactly what it was that Cyril Smith was talking about at that time. Smith is able to convince this young boy to drop his pants. It's unknown exactly what Smyrl Smith did to this boy, although Knowing the information that I do, it's more likely than not that Smith fondled the child once his pants were down. And I say that because Smith was a very unique form of pedophile. For the most part, it does not appear as though he ever fully penetrated any of his victims. More often than not, it was fondling or brutal spankings. With this particular case, as I said, there isn't a lot of information as to what it was that had happened, so we are left to make an educated guess based on the facts that we have. Smith abused this boy in some fashion as I said, more likely than not, he fondled the child under the guise of showing him how to practice his breathing exercises and sing better. Now, this is the first known account of Cyril Smith having abused a boy, and from all indications, this only happened the one 
time after which it's thought that Smith realized that doing this type of thing inside of his office was much too risky and he decided to lay low while continuing to keep a lookout for opportunities to abuse further children. This would eventually come later on in the decade. And we will get into covering this in just a moment. Are you tired of the same old boring puzzles? Mix things up with Wongo puzzles. Each puzzle is a custom design with intricate patterns and whimsical shapes that will keep you engaged for hours. Plus, their eco-friendly materials and commitment to sustainability make Wongo puzzles a guilt-free way to unwind. They're 100% wooden puzzles. They'll last forever. Each piece is hand-drawn, so no two pieces are the same, and you'll discover some fun, whimsy pieces as you work through it. They come in a custom wooden box, which is perfect for storage and gifting. With stunning designs and unique shapes, Wongo puzzles are cut above the rest. What are you waiting for? Go to wongopuzzles.com and pick your puzzle today. And be sure to use the promo code DCASTPOD to get 10% off your order. This is the most fun you've had with a puzzle, guaranteed, or your money pack. Go to wongopuzzles.com and use the code DCASTPOD to get 10% off your order and get puzzling right now. We are back. I have a full cup of coffee. So now the year is 1962, and as I was discussing before the break, Smith had for decades at this point harbored an idea of opening up a school for boys. This came to fruition when he and a group of backers opened a youth hostel known as Cambridge House, which was a hostel for working boys. Basically what that means is it was a place where young boys who were working and not attending school could live and basically be looked after. Primarily, these boys were between the ages of 14 to 21 years of age. Now, I am shifting at this point to the report entitled Cambridge House, Knollview, and Rochdale, which was an investigative report commissioned by the Rochdale Council that was completed in 2018, with the final report being submitted and approved in April of that year. Cambridge House operated between 1962 and 1965 at 12 Castlemere Street in Rochdale. This association, which was a non-profit, had been founded in 1960 by Cyril Smith, Bill Harding, who was a probation officer, and Albert Potter, who was the manager of the trustee savings bank. Other members of the governing committee were Howard Halstead, Harry Howarth, and Reverend John Potter, although it should be noted that the majority of these individuals had little to do in the actual operations of Cambridge House. Smith, who was an honorary trustee of Cambridge House, was, in fact, 
the main individual who took an active role in the running of this school. Rochdale Council actually owned the building that Cambridge House was housed in, and initially the idea was that Cambridge House would eventually purchase this building from the Rochdale Council, although this never came to pass. I'm going to quote a section here from this report. Quote, the boys who stayed at Cambridge House came from various different backgrounds. One group of between 6 and 11 boys arrived from Glasgow to work in factories in Rochdale after they were unable to complete their apprenticeships in Scotland. Several others worked for Cyril Smith's company, Smith Springs. Others ended up at Cambridge House because of problems at home through a process that remains unclear. ROA1 told us, for instance, how he was living with a foster family in Lancashire and started rebelling after the death of his foster father in 1965. After one row with his foster mother, an officer from Lancashire Council, Mr. Evans came to the garage where he had an apprenticeship, told ROA1 that his family no longer wanted him and took him straight to Cambridge House. ROA1 expressed how disorienting this was for him. I didn't know where I was going. I was upset. It was everything was happening so fast. One minute, I've got a family. I've got a job. The next minute, I'm plucked and just taken away to another authority. He was aged just 16 when this happened. Initially, when Cambridge House opened, it was run by a couple a Mr. and Mrs. Wilson, and the majority of the boys who were there when Mr. and Mrs. Wilson ran the hostel had positive experiences. However, eventually the couple were replaced. Now, the reasons for this replacement are unknown. Some reports I have read and articles have speculated that Smith may have campaigned to have this couple removed as the house parents from Cambridge House because they really restricted his access to the boys as well as his access to the building as a whole, although this cannot be verified. What is known is that Eventually, a Mr. and Mrs. Sally would take over as Cambridge House's house parents, and that with this couple coming into power, the entire mood and atmosphere of Cambridge House began to change. The boys staying at Cambridge House noted that with this change in regime, the Cambridge House became much more restrictive, and even the slightest offense could lead to Cyril Smith being contacted, at which point he would come to the hostel where he would, quite frankly, beat the children. And it was known that he really seemed to derive some form of sexual pleasure from this doling out of punishment, which is why earlier when discussing the reasons that Smith had targeted boys, I said that some offenders find 
it almost as a cathartic form of revenge against those who had harmed them in their youth, this very well could be the tact that Smith chose with these individual children. He was seeing those who had harmed and abused him verbally and mentally as a child while he was inflicting these assaults on these children. Now, the children, as I read earlier, came for different reasons. Cyril Smith had a very strong say in which children were sent to Cambridge House. Oftentimes, children who were sent there would be mandated by the courts. However, Smith would sit in on these meetings where it was being decided which children should be sent there, and he would make his own opinion known as to which child should be sent there. A lot of the children that Smith ended up recommending, as opposed to other children who were sent there where it could take weeks or months for a bed to be found for them, were kind of forced through the system and placed within Cambridge House almost immediately. And it needs to be noted that Smith's involvement with Cambridge House, while ending really in 1965 when the school closed, did not end his influence and interest in children's services and education in Rochdale. This was something that would continue for much of the majority of his life. Now, the things that happened in Cambridge House are pretty standard fare for Cyril Smith. Much as with the first accusation levied against him in 1961, Smith is known to have fondled students, and this would happen under the guise of giving them a medical examination, and no, I'm not reading or misinterpreting what it was that Smith claimed to have been doing. When a boy would be brought into the house, Smith would be there almost instantaneously to conduct a medical examination during which he is known to have fondled many of the boys. But more than that, when a child would become unruly or would get sick, as opposed to accepting the fact that the child was indeed ill, Smith would be called for and would in fact come and be left alone with this boy, during which time he would molest him, oftentimes touching his genitals. More often than not, though, he would treat the child as being a layabout and faking his illness, at which point he would spank him brutally before stopping, and I apologize for this, stroking the boy's backside and legs tenderly. As you can see from this, Smith was not your run-of-the-mill pedophile. And there is no evidence that I could find, at least from Cambridge House, to indicate that the molestation that Cyril Smith levied against the children went beyond this type of abuse. 
you're probably wondering how this type of thing was able to happen without individuals becoming aware in children's services or in Rochdale Council. Smith was a very powerful, influential man in Rochdale during this period of time, and as the years passed, this would continue to grow. But it also seems as though that the majority of those who were in positions to find out about and put a stop to this kind of behavior turned a blind eye to it. In a very similar fashion to how Western society turned a blind eye to the type of things that musicians were doing with young girls in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Rochdale and England as a whole, unfortunately, during this period of time, turned a blind eye to this type of behavior because these children, unfortunately, were kind of looked down upon by society. Describing the abuse that Smith levied at Cambridge House, one of the boys stated, quote, There were some boys he wouldn't go near. He gave the rough boys from Glasgow a wide berth. The Glasgowians were down as apprentices for Whip and Bourne, a local manufacturer specializing in marine switchgear. He knew they'd fight back. He picked on the smallest and shyest boys. And Smith was heavy-handed in his approach to how he'd abused these boys. He would simply inform them that you are either going to accept what is going on or I will have you thrown out and you will be homeless. Most of the boys chose the former rather than the latter as they were not equipped to deal with life on the streets. However, there were some boys who were abused who refused to stand for this. At least six boys are known to have gone to the authorities during this period of time to claim that Cyril Smith had, in fact, abused them. And... These accusations against him would end up following Smith for years, despite his best efforts to put them behind him. Although, even before these accusations were made, stories about Smith's penchant for abusing boys were becoming widespread throughout Rochdale, Parents would use threat of calling for Cyril Smith to come and deal with them as a way to get their children to behave better. To quote one individual, if you don't start behaving, we'll call for Cyril Smith. And according to some stories, again, there's no way to know the absolute validity of these. Some parents did, in fact, do just that and Smith would show up to the houses to met out corporal punishment to their children. And I think it really shows the kind of spell that Cyril Smith was weaving over Rochdale during this period of time, the early to mid-1960s, that parents would allow this type of thing to happen and never think anything of it. Because Cyril Smith wasn't just spanking the kids 
while they were fully clothed, he would forcibly remove the boy's pants and then spank them, oftentimes leaving welts or bleeding sores on their rear ends from the force of the blows he had inflicted. Now, how did the police become involved in all of this? In 1965, a man by the name of Lyndon Price arrived in Rochdale to assume a job working for the children's officer. To quote Price, it was in November 1965, a social worker came to see me to say he was worried that boys in Cambridge House were being abused by Cyril Smith. Now, Cambridge House did not fully fall under the authority of the Children's Council, so Price was really in a dilemma as he could not go in and interview any of these children or investigate the claims himself. Instead, he went to the police, an individual by the name of Patrick Ross, who was the chief constable and informed him of the information that he had been given. Now, Ross promised to look into these allegations. Again, I am quoting from the report, Cambridge House, Knollview, and Rochdale. Quote, The first known suggestions made to anyone in authority that Cyril Smith might be acting inappropriately towards the boys at Cambridge House was late in October 1965, shortly before the hostel closed. Lyndon Price made a statement on 20 January 1970 as part of the Lancashire Constabulary investigation in which he explained that following a referral from a child care officer, James Gavin, he had spoken to a 16-year-old boy, ROA49, who said that Smith had spanked him on his bare buttocks as punishment for some wrong done by him. Mr. Price was worried by this, although the boy himself did not complain about it. Several weeks later, Mr. Price told Patrick Ross, the chief constable of then Rochdale Police, about the matter. This approach was not as a formal complaint or request for the police to open an investigation, but solely to give Mr. Ross the information. Now, why did Price go to the police in later testimony given in 2014 and 2015? Price explained that the way the boy described the entire assault to him seemed as though there was a sexual element to what Smith was doing and that this troubled him greatly to the point that he decided to go and inform his friend on the police force. Now, unfortunately, this officer, Ross, did nothing with the information. It's more likely than not that Ross, not thinking anything of what he had been told, had informed Smith that he had had a complaint about the way he, Smith was meeting out punishment to the boys at Cambridge House. Price further went on to state during his testimony that the reason he did not make a formal complaint was A, he did not have legal grounds to do so, as again, he had no authority over the hostel, but he also understood Cyril Smith was an extremely powerful man in and around Rochdale, and any effort on his part to even do a cursory investigation would likely have gotten back to Smith. 
Smith ends up going and visiting Price at his home in what was described as a very disturbed and agitated manner where he refuted the charges that Price had passed on to Ross. Apparently, Cyril stayed at the home for about two hours, continually covering the same ground, with Sith Smith stating that now there were rumors flying all around town and they were very unfounded. Price eventually saw Smith again and was informed that there would be no pursuing these accusations. Price himself later stated in Smile for the Camera, The Double Life of Cyril Smith, quote, he had a network of people in high places, and he could pull their strings and get what he wanted done. This was the benefit Cyril had as ch chairman of the establishment committee. His job was to appoint all the senior staff from the town clerk to head teachers, and you can be sure he would have pushed for this position over others because of the power it brought. Cyril appointed virtually every headmaster in Rochdale. In fact, he had appointed most people in senior positions. They were all Cyril's men, and he was very popular in the sense that it would need a lot of evidence to get people to believe that anything contrary to what he told them. Basically, Smith was seeding the community with individuals he knew would be loyal to him, and who would not believe anything untoward that was said about him. But it was deeper than that because Smith was, in fact, becoming an institution in Rochdale at this period of time. And while rumors about Smith would, as you're going to see, get out into Rochdale, when all of this went down at the end of 1965, Many of the people in Rochdale would take anything that was said about Smith in a negative fashion as not only an attack on the man's character, but also as a t an attack on the town itself. Now, I said when we started this particular section, Cambridge House closed in 1965. This had nothing to do with the accusations that had been levied against Cyril Smith. The council decided that it could no longer afford to help support the hostel, and Smith and the other individuals who had helped found it decided that it would be best for everyone if they just allowed the organization to close down, which is what happened. By the end of 1965, Cambridge House was just a bad memory for everyone involved, with the exception of Cyril Smith. Alright, I am going to close the episode this week. Again, I hope you have enjoyed it. If you do like what I am doing, please consider leaving a five-star review on your favorite podcast app and telling your friends about it. I will be back next week for the third part in our series on Cyril Smith where he really starts to gain power and his abuses become much more prolific and people in power really start to take notice. Until next time, The Deathcast is a co-production of Corpse Creek Publishing in association with Big Pond Podcasting. 
Stay morbid. We got another day of NBA action, so it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top quality personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com/offer/seriousxm.